0: Hi, Steve Shepard here. Thank you for joining me on the Natural Curiosity Project. I am originally from the American Southwest, the Permian Basin of West Texas, to be exact. I was born in Amarillo, way up in the Panhandle, but my maternal grandparents lived in Roswell, New Mexico, so we spent a lot of time there when I was a kid, which probably explains a lot. My mom was actually working at the Roswell Air Force Base as a civilian employee when, um, well, you know, She grew up with the guy whose land the UFO supposedly crashed on. I mean, I still have folders and folders filled with articles and pictures that she saved from back then. It's really kind of cool. I still love visiting Roswell. It brings on a bittersweet wave of nostalgia whenever I'm there. All the streetlights have glass bulbs on top that are shaped like the familiar alien faces that we've all come to know from movies like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. There's now an alien museum The women's clothing store where my grandmother worked is gone now, but the car dealership where my grandfather was salesman of the year every year is still there. He used to tell me stories about quail hunting with his friend, the game warden, out of season. They would put the birds they shot under the hubcaps of the car so that no one would see them. Then they'd drive into the garage, pull off the hubcaps, and divvy up the spoils with no one the wiser except for everyone who knew them, which of course was the entire town. The thing I missed the most from our childhood visits to Roswell, though, was the drugstore. It was a few doors down from Sweetbriar, the store where my grandmother worked. It was a big, cavernous place with uneven, squeaky wooden floors, heavy green curtains that contributed to the cavernous feel of the place, and it smelled like a drugstore. You know what I mean? It didn't smell like perfume and bad candy and cosmetics. It smelled like coal tar and turpentine and I don't know, mysterious substances that became drugs when the druggist mixed them together. We didn't have pharmacists. They were still called druggists back then. Late one evening, we were at my grandmother's store getting ready to close up and head home for dinner, and I was running around like all five-year-olds do. Somehow, I managed to trip and put my head through a plate glass display case that had jewelry in it, shattering the glass and slicing my scalp from stem to stern. My dad scooped me up, and off to the drugstore we went. Where the druggist took one look at me, grabbed a bottle of liquid off the shelf, soaked a big wad of cotton with it, and slapped it on my head. The bottle should have been labeled Hot Lava from Kilauea, Melts Steel, Handle with Care, based on how it felt when it hit my sliced scalp. It was probably just alcohol, but whatever it was, it did the trick. The bleeding stopped. And even though the scar under my hair would say otherwise, I never needed stitches. To help with the pain, the druggist sat me down at the soda counter. They had a great soda counter and made me a 400. Now, as near as I can tell, 400s are unique to the Southwest. I've never found them anywhere else. And I've never found anyone outside of that immediate geography who knows what they are. Basically, you fill a soda glass with crushed ice and by the way, it has to be crushed ice. Cubes don't work. And then you pour chocolate milk over it. Heaven. I mean, I could feel my scalp stitching itself back together with every sip. Now, the truth is I'm not really sure why I'm telling you that story other than to kick off this episode. Although, in a kind of a weird way, it actually does relate to this episode's theme. I've never been able to find out why the drink is called a 400. It just is. Where I come from, People either order an R.C. Cola, pronounced RSC, to go with their chicken fried steak at lunch, or they order a 400. Anyway, to continue with the story, which actually does have a point, bear with me, I'll get there. Road trips were part of life when I was a kid. The drive from Midland, Texas, where we lived, to Roswell, New Mexico, to visit my grandparents, took about four hours, even in our Oldsmobile Dynamic 88, a car that had a trunk the size of a studio apartment. Along the way, we read Burma-Shave signs, watched roadrunners race along the side of the road, and kept an eye out for pronghorns and windmills and the occasional bison. We'd pass through towns with colorful names like Artesia and Lemisa and Hobbs and Seminole. If we continued west past Roswell, as we did sometimes to visit other places— my dad was a geologist, so we spent a lot of time out in the field— We'd pass through New Mexico towns with even more colorful names like Pie Town and my personal favorite, Truth or Consequences. Now, why is it called Truth or Consequences? Well, it's kind of an interesting story. Back in the 1950s, it was a very popular game show by that name, hosted by Ralph Edwards and Bob Barker. Now, for those of you too young to remember these guys, Bob Barker was the guy who Happy Gilmore got into the fistfight with in the movie. In fact, this episode's photo is a picture of Ralph Edwards with my grandfather, George Carraway. He's the one on the right. Like I said, he knew everybody. Anyway, in 1950, the show ran a publicity stunt that offered the following challenge. If any town or city in the U.S. was willing to rename itself Truth or Consequences, the show would give it free publicity. Enter Hot Springs, New Mexico, the home of dozens of natural geothermal pools. In 1950, Hot Springs only had about 75 full-time residents, but it wanted to become better known to tourists for its natural springs. So on April Fool's Day, 1950, Hot Springs, New Mexico became Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, and while you may think it was an April Fool's joke, it wasn't. The change was permanent. The town now has a population of about 6,000, but it may be getting a lot bigger now that Richard Branson has built a spaceport there. It's a true story. Go look it up. So we could argue that Truth or Consequences is the funniest town name in New Mexico, although some might argue that it's Pie Town or Gallup or Waterflow or Elephant Butte. But what about all the other states? Well, I spent a couple of days looking at maps to see if I could answer that question. And from that very entertaining and weirdly satisfying research, I composed a list of what I think are the best town names in all 50 states, and I'm going to share them with you. You ready? Here we go. Alphabetical order by state. Scratch Ankle, Alabama. Chicken, Alaska. Catfish Paradise in Arizona. Toad Suck, Arkansas. I don't want to know, but I also like possum grape. Mormon Bar, California. I mean, there's some irony in that one, right? Parachute, Colorado, although I also like Hygiene and Climax. Moose Up, Connecticut. Flea Hill, Delaware. Spuds, Florida. Flippin', Georgia. Volcano, Hawaii. That one seems kind of redundant, doesn't it? Beer Bottle Crossing, Idaho. Chicken Bristle, Illinois. Santa Claus, Indiana. What Cheer. Iowa, although I also like fertile. Skitty, Kansas. Pig, Kentucky. I also have to go back and add Unalaska, Alaska. Um, that's just great. Waterproof, Louisiana. Bald Head, Maine. Accident, Maryland. Satan's Kingdom, Massachusetts. Hell, Michigan, although the town of Paradise is just down the road. Little Canada, Minnesota. Possum Neck, Mississippi. How can you not love that? Frankenstein, Missouri. Big Sag, Montana. Worms, Nebraska. Parump, Nevada. Dummer, New Hampshire. Fowl Rift, New Jersey, although Buttsville is a pretty close second. I'll skip New Mexico since I already did that. Handsome Eddie, New York. Why not? North Carolina. Zap, North Dakota. Dull, Ohio. Okay, Oklahoma. Boring, Oregon. Coupon, Pennsylvania. Although I have to digress for just a minute here because Pennsylvania also has intercourse, rough and ready, climax, blue ball, and bath addition. That place needs help. Maybe they should visit Fertile, Iowa, or maybe establish an alliance with Climax, Colorado. To continue, Woonsocket, Rhode Island, Coward, South Carolina, Plenty Bears, South Dakota, Smart, Tennessee. I see another alliance between Smart, Tennessee, Dull, Ohio, and Boring, Oregon emerging. Ding Dong, Texas, although Texas also has Dimebox. Nibley, Utah. Mosquitoville, Vermont. I live in Vermont, and I've never heard of Mosquitoville. Fries, Virginia. Big Bottom, Washington. Booger Hole, West Virginia. I mean, couldn't they have just called it Nostril? Chili, Wisconsin, and finally, Crapstone, Wyoming. Okay, you have just wasted what I hope was an enjoyable 20 minutes or so of your precious time. I leave you with a challenge. Go find a map of your own state. Sit down with it and just let your eyes wander all over the landscape. Follow what William Least Heat Moon calls the blue highways. See where they go. And then come back at me with a better choice for the best or the funniest or the silliest or the most meaningful town name and why it got that way. I'd love to hear what you came up with. Hey, maybe it's time for a road trip. Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Oh, oh,